This is Father Aaron with another podcast. It's the 28th Sunday of the year. The readings at this weekend's Mass give us two accounts of healing, the healing of Naaman and the healing of the ten lepers. In both cases, we see that these physical healings are brought about through humility, but more than that, they transform the person so that they can no longer live the same way. This transformation moves them, and should move us, to gratitude. The readings today give us a passage from 2 Kings, which is the conclusion of a narrative about Naaman the Aramean. The problem is that with most stories, the conclusion doesn't really make much sense without all that came before it. And the church, of course, wishing to have mercy on us, doesn't make us read the whole story out at Mass this weekend, but I think it is essential that we at least know the context. Naaman is an Aramean warlord, a high-ranking general, basically. Now, the Aramaeans were pagans. They weren't Jews. In fact, they were enemies of the Jews, and it was widely suspected that they planned to invade Judah. Enter Naaman. He is a highly ranked warlord, but discovers that he has contracted leprosy. But Naaman's slave girl tells him of the Jewish prophet Elisha, who may be the only person who can cure his disease, which of course would have required him to go into enemy territory and into a society which treated lepers as outcasts for both hygienic and religious reasons. Nevertheless, Naaman receives permission from his king to make the journey and is even given a letter to give to the Jewish king which testifies for the reason of his visit. However, when Naaman arrives in Judah, the Jewish king is convinced he is a spy and tells him to go home. Go home. Elisha, however, hears of Naaman's predicament and sends word to the king that he should be permitted to journey to visit him at his house. And so Naaman makes this journey. But when he reaches Elisha's house, Elisha never sees him. Instead, he sends a messenger, one of his assistants, out to meet him and tells him that to be cured he needs to bathe seven times in the river Jordan. Naaman, already exhausted from the journey and embarrassed from his disease, is now humbled by both having to grovel before an enemy king and now to have to speak to some lackey of a foreign prophet. So in incredulity at what he has been told to do, he begs, aren't the waters of the Arabian rivers greater than all of that of Jordan? But in desperation at his situation, he agrees to make the journey and dive seven times into the Jordan River. And this brings us to the point of the story that we hear in the first reading. Naaman comes up from the water, and his flesh is entirely healed. We get a nice piece of Hebrew literature here. The author describes his skin as having been transformed into that of a little child. It's the same terminology used to describe the slave girl that sent Naaman on his journey. 
Naaman has made a transformation, both physically and spiritually. From this moment on, he vows to never worship another god but the god of Israel. In fact, he goes far enough so as to demand that he bring soil back from Israel to his house, so that when he prays at home, he can stand upon Jewish dirt. Now let's hold on to that thought and consider the gospel. This time we have ten lepers. And we don't know where they're all from, but we know that at least one of them is a Samaritan, a race which the Jews long held in resentment. We know that they are outcast, both because of their sickness, but also because of Luke's language. He describes Christ meeting them literally in Greek in the middle land between Samaria and Galilee. They are in the middle of nowhere, not part of one society or the other. So they are already the lowest of the low, but knowing that, they approach Christ fall to their knees, and from a distance call out to him, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They humble themselves even more to call him Master and to beg of his pity. And this, of course, is all that is required. They are healed immediately and told to go back and show themselves to the priest. Literally, in Greek, Christ tells them, go and show yourselves to your priest. It's a plural statement. Jews and Samaritans would have different priests, after all, and now they are no longer outcasts. They can rejoin their societies from which they came. A transformation has occurred. In both situations, the healing is brought about precisely through humility, and that's really the core of the lesson in today's readings. Each of us have a sickness, a leprosy of some sort. If we sat down and scanned over our lives, we're going to, each of us, find some sticking point, some vice we're attached to, an addiction, a sinful pastime. There's something there, and it is a sickness. And I bet we're pretty good at covering it up, even though it nags us. What's the first step in those 12-step programs of anonymous addiction groups? Admitting the addiction. The first step to overcoming our sinful vices, our leprosy, is to admit it, and to admit it clearly without any sort of excuse or euphemism. St. Alphonsus Liguori talks about how the sinner often does not pray to be rid of their vice or to be given the strength to overcome it. Instead, they usually pray that they are simply not tempted anymore. But that's really the wrong way to go about things. Jesus Christ wants to heal us by transforming us, taking our dead skin and making it look like a little child. But we don't want change. We want to stay the same for everything else to just be easier. And the Christian life is not about easy living. I've used this quote before, but G.K. Chesterton quipped, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. The point isn't to make it easier. The point is to be healed. And the medicine is humility. But humility is hard, right? No, No one wants to humiliate themselves. That's why, even though Christ has gifted the church with the sacrament of confession, and all we need to do in order to have our sins entirely wiped away is ask, Still, so few approach this sacrament. Why? Well, because it's it's humiliating to admit our sins. Or maybe they do come into the confessional and they use euphemisms. We are all afraid to face the reality of our sinfulness. But admitting it is the only cure. Naaman is cured both by his humility and by his obedience. When he is told to plunge into the Jordan seven times, his servants ask him, Wouldn't you have agreed to perform any great work if it would cure you? Why not do this easy task? And that's the truth, right? All of us want to be free from our burdens. We probably will be willing to do anything, any sort of great work that it would take to stop being tempted, to stop sinning. 
Sometimes we try to bargain with God. We promise him we'll stop doing X, Y, Z if he answers this prayer. If we're ever tempted with this again, we promise to start putting money in the collection basket. But it doesn't work, does it? Why not? Because God isn't asking that of us. All he wants is for us to walk into that confessional back there and admit that we've messed up. That's how parents work, right? Or coaches or teachers. They aren't looking for the disobedient kid to go cook dinner for them without being asked or to mow the lawn. Nine times out of ten, they just want them to admit what they did and that it was wrong. That's all God is asking from us, and we can't do it because it's humiliating. And so we won't be cured, at least not until we take the medicine. Okay, so that's the first message. Let's read on in the gospel. We know the story. The nine lepers go off to their priest, but one leper... Samaritan comes back to give thanks. And Christ questioned him, questions him, Tens, ten were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? This, surprisingly, is the only passage we have in the gospel that hints at God demanding we show him gratitude. St. Paul, on the other hand, is always talking about giving thanks. But all we have from Christ is this one sentence. Why? Well, perhaps because, just as in our normal relationships, there is nothing more frustrating than when a benefactor is demanding thanks from us. God has perhaps left this for us to figure out ourselves, but it's an obvious fact, right? We're taught as kids to write thank you letters to our friends. We should never fail to show gratitude for God. And then, of course, the Mass, the Eucharist, is our great thanksgiving. That's what the word Eucharist means, after all, thanksgiving. And we acknowledge that in the Mass. Right before the preface, I rally you to give thanks. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God, I say. And you say it is right and just. I love that part of the Mass because it seems like the priest goes off on a long tangent right after that. We say it is right and just, and then the priest just rattles on. Indeed, it is truly right. It is just. It is our duty even. And it is profitable for our salvation that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to God. Listen for that today in the Mass. At all times and all places. Growing up in Jackson, I remember seeing Bishop Houck sit in the church long before and after each Mass to prepare himself silently and to give thanks afterwards, something that meant a lot to me as a child and something that I really need to get better at myself. For one thing, because it's the law of the church. The Code of Canon Law number 906 says a priest is not to omit dutifully to prepare himself by prayer before the celebration of the Eucharist, nor afterwards to omit to make thanksgiving to God. I also remember when I was in seminary, uh, seeing all the priests at the seminary going out after Mass and, and praying their prayers of thanksgiving. But I encourage all of you to consider the same. We have much to be thankful for at the Mass, much to be thankful for in our lives. And it's only just that we offer that thanks to God. And yet, how often do we?
Thanks for listening in today. If you like what you hear, please go on iTunes and leave a good rating. Also, tell your friends and family about it, and visit the Diocese of Jackson Office of Vocations website to find more great content, jacksonpriest.com. That's jacksonpriest, with an S, dot com. God bless.